Before we get going, I wanted to let you know that this episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Enclosed. The holiday season is indeed upon us, so if you're looking for something different for your person this year, why not spice things up by getting them high-end lingerie from Enclosed? This is not department store Victoria's Secret quality. This is a seriously high-end product, and with Enclosed size guarantee, their products fit right 98% of the time. Enclosed will do all the work, and you can take all the credit, which is a pretty decent deal. Uh, so go to enclosed.gifts and use the code TOTALSOCCER at check out to get $35 off any multi-month order. One more time, that's enclosed.gifts, and the code is TOTALSOCCER for $35 off any multi-month order. Uh, If you can't remember that, there is a link in the show notes, so there you go. Uh, And with all that said, on with the show. And welcome to Un Fantastico episode of the Total Soccer Show. I'm Taylor Rockwell, and if you think I had to look up the Italian for a fantastic, you are absolutely correct. Uh, Daryl Grove is not with me today, uh, but joining me in his stead is David Amoyal of the Couch Len podcast. Uh, David has been on the show before to help me make sense of Serie A. Uh, he is here again to help me make sense of the latest racism scandal in Serie A. But don't worry, this time it only involved, checking my notes, the league headquarters. Yikes. Uh, but after that, we get into what went wrong for Carlo Ancelotti at Napoli, what might go right for him at Everton, and what could potentially go very, very wrong at Napoli for Gennaro Gattuso. There's also a title race uh, going on, so Inter, Juve, Lazio get some conversation, as do some less heralded clubs uh, who are doing big things, looking in your direction, Atalanta, Cagliari, and Parma. We close out by looking ahead to the January transfer window. David details some possible landing spots for a certain Zlatan Ibrahimovic. All that and much, much more. So I'll finish up the intro by simply saying, joining me on the line, I've got David Amoyal of the Calcio Land Podcast. David, thanks for coming back on the show. It's a real pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure to have you on because you help me make sense of a league that I find somewhat difficult to cover at times. So I do want to talk uh, Champions League. I want to talk title race. I want to talk the battle for fourth in Serie A. Managers getting sacked. The January window. But I want to start with a somewhat ever-present topic this season. We're going to talk racism in Syria again. Uh, We've talked about it previously. You provided a lot of insight as to why it's such a problem and maybe some of the clubs that are working to to deal with it. But it obviously remains an issue. This time it pertains to the league itself and someone's artistic tastes is how I'm going to frame that. Can you explain the situation a bit to the best of your ability and your thoughts on sort of what's happened? Sure. And again, you know, it's a shame because, you know, it's been a great stretch for Italian football. Three teams going the next round in the Mm -hmm. Champions League could have easily been four. But, you know, as usual, unfortunately, the league can't help itself and has to get in the way. So very briefly, as everyone knows, there's been a lot of, um, you know, attention on the racism problem in Italy and specifically on african-american players black players getting monkey chants at them during games so the league thought that it would be a good response Mm -hmm. to this to commission a painter who is known for depicting monkeys this is pretty much the only thing he does to come up with a painting to help combat uh racism in italian stadiums he had made this painting at the coppa italia final last may and his answer was like back then nobody made a big deal of it fast forward to yesterday league office they talk about what they are doing to combat racism we've had a lot of issues from may when he made the painting to now uh the imagery was awful like i was recording my podcast and people started tweeting me this and i thought like this can't be real like this has to be a Mm -hmm. joke but turns out it wasn't it's these pictures of these three monkeys that supposedly have to depict three different races and the implication is that we're all the same and the thought process is we're going to turn it on the racist people saying you are the same as the person you are doing a monkey chant at so that's the background but again you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions i can understand (laughs) where they were coming from But you do not make a bold artistic choice when you've had so many issues in Mm. recent months. Like, you know, Radiohead can come out with Kid A, go in a completely different direction because they have the cachet Mm -hmm. to do it. Great artists can be, you know, controversial and maybe it takes a little while for the message to sink in. 
But when you look at the optics, and I thought Sports Illustrated SI, the soccer page, you know, really put it best. And they said, you know, here's a league that has been getting a lot of bad press for black players getting monkey chats at. And this is how they decided to respond. So the other thing that's interesting and not surprising, and we talked about it last time I was on, is that the big clubs who have uh, branding uh, concerns outside of Italy came out and condemn this specifically Roma and Milan I gotta say the two teams that are the most vocal like deliberate like uh, attack the campaign saying this is completely wrong what are you doing Inter and Juve kind of subtweeted what happened but you could kind of see what they meant Mm -hmm. so we've had the reaction from the big clubs which was not surprising so bad look Uh, right before you and I started recording at least the president of the federation apologized then kind of threw the artist under the bus and said, we understand this is offensive. Um, and I talked a lot. The last thing, though, that I want to say is, you know, I was in Italy when the Black Friday headline came out on Smalling and Lukaku. And to me, what really jumped out at me, and I think we are seeing it somewhat with this situation as well, is even after both Lukaku and Smalling took to Twitter saying they were offended by this, in Italy, people were still defending that headline and to me that's really at the end of the day to me what it comes down to is there are good intentions but like in Italy they just do not understand that it's the person that is subjected to discriminations and insults just because of the color of their skin that gets to decide what is appropriate or not I hope uh, this is a turning point because there really was a really tough response against this and hopefully the outrage and cancel culture can help us here so I have one more uh, question about this, and, and then we can move on to potentially happier topics. But, like, uh, I don't even know if this is going to end in a question. I will try for it, too. But, like, a lot of the reaction I saw was sort of, uh, like, how could they do this? Or how did this sneak through? Or who? how was there not somebody who caught this? And I think, to your original point, the way the artist went about explaining it, he said... Uh, yeah, as you said, like we turned the concept back on racist as we are all monkeys originally. So I painted a Western monkey, an Asian monkey, and a black monkey. I got, uh, I got so angry that I got an idea. Why not stop censoring the word monkey in football, but turn the concept around and say instead that in the end, we're all apes. So that was, uh, Fugazato, the artist, uh, his yeah. sort of explanation. And it made me wonder. Is it like? Is there a chance that this is just sort of Syria intentionally being like, look, we're not going to be able to get people to stop this, but if we destigmatize this idea, this concept, then it won't be an issue anymore. It feels sort of like they're working backwards on it. Of like, if we make the racist term not seem racist, then we won't have such an issue. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, look, you know, the same uh, president of the federation, and I want to stress, unfortunately, the Italian federation, I mean, talk about a place where they put political hacks that don't really have, you know, really any idea what they're doing. I mean, this guy's suggestion in the past was, you know, to take away all the microphones that are in the curve and the supporter side so you don't hear the racist chants as a way to get rid of the problem. But, you know, it goes back to, like, you know, them not apologizing to Lukaku and Smalling, who said they were offended. I don't know if you saw when there was the Balotelli racist chants. There were people that were tweeting videos saying, see, you can't hear any monkey chants, but you could actually hear them. So it was like, well, so on one hand, when you see that and then the letter that the Ultras wrote to Lukaku saying you're the one that doesn't understand, like you could say they're almost doing it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like they're almost like, you know, they're just trolling us now. But I genuinely think they were trying to do the right thing, but they're just not engaging with the right people. I mean, they certainly have great resources i mean even within social media in italy people that are doing great things at roma internationally that get it you know maybe having the humility of saying you know what maybe can you help us with this because we can use some help here Mm. i did read uh i think at the end of most articles discussing this one there has been a sort of like anti-racism team that's been put forward it sounds like it will be one player from every single club can you talk a bit about that and kind of what their goal is there Yeah, yeah so on a more positive note since we talked, the most important development is that all 20 teams in Serie A, so even the lower table teams that we talked last time that rely so much on local support and have turned kind of a blind eye to the racism because those are the people that are not all, but a good chunk of the fan base that supports them. They all wrote a letter saying we haven't done enough. And I thought that was really 
remarkable. It surprised me. I did not expect the Veronas, the Brescia, the Cagliaris of the world to do that. And they elected a representative from every team to work on a task force. They are going to dedicate uh, one match day to bring a lot of awareness on this. So there are some positive signs. And, you know, it's a shame because even that press conference that got hijacked by the pictures of the monkey things that looked horribly visually, there were some positive things that came out of it. But, you know, um, an image sometimes speaks a thousand words and it came off really, really terribly. All right. Well, let's let's uh, we'll continue to see what happens there. Hopefully we won't have to talk about it quite so frequently, but also we might. And if we do, then we do. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it because you are able to talk about it quite succinctly and quite expertly. So thank you for that. But thank you for your general knowledge on Syria, which we can talk about now. Uh, and we're going to start not with the top of the table, but with uh, somewhere in the middle, because I want to talk Napoli. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti is out. Uh, I think at time of recording, we'll be coaching Everton. We'll take over on Boxing Day. But for now, for Napoli, Gattuso is in. Uh, things yeah. did not get off to the best start. Napoli lost to Parma. They still haven't won in Serie A since, I believe, mid-October and are now without uh, Kaladu Kolobali, who strained a muscle in that loss. How big of a mountain is this going to be for Gattuso? Huge. Um, look, I almost I was very tempted to pick Napoli for the Scudetto going into the season. They had a lot of continuity. They bolstered the positions where they were a little bit Weak. They had depth. Uh, they had really a lot of the ingredients to, uh, you know, really challenge Juve. They didn't get off to a good start. They were great in the Champions League and Serie A. They struggled against, you know, lower table teams. Uh, Koulibaly, just not the same player since the Africa Cup. Like, really unrecognizably bad. It has happened to players in Serie A that go to the Africa Cup. Gervinho a few years ago being one of them. That struggle. Uh, then we had Alan, who was their best midfielder for a while. He was linked to PSG in January. They forced him to stay. He wasn't the same player. Insigne, you know, was kind of the homegrown captain. He had a very difficult season. They invested heavily in Lozano, the most expensive purchase ever. He struggled quite a bit. And uh, so there were big problems. Uh, De Laurentiis, the president, is a very forceful guy. The fact that he sent the team on retreat and they refused to go. And Ancelotti publicly backed the players, which to me was the beginning of the end for him. I think the players were shocked that the city and the fans didn't rally around them. Instead, they looked like millionaires refusing to do a simple task when they were struggling. Uh, so it's tough. Um, I, I think making a Champions League spot is going to be very difficult because they have a lot of points to make up, but they also have a lot of teams to get over. Uh, they have two of their best players, Mertens and Callejon, have uh, expiring contracts that almost certainly won't be renewed. Um, they certainly have a lot of talent, and Gattuso, I think we look at him a little bit differently. Looking back, he had done a good job. At uh, Milan, he is in a lot of ways the polar opposite of Ancelotti, temperament-wise. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> so on some hand, I, I could see him bringing some benefits. I fought against Parma. They played a little bit better than usual. Now they're going to be without Koulibaly for a while. So I think this season in Serie A is going to be rough. I do think in the, the Champions League match against Barcelona should be fascinating for a lot of reasons. It wouldn't totally shock me if uh, Napoli maybe pull it off there. But in Serie A, it's going to be uh, very difficult. I think the, what we're seeing from Cagliari and Atalanta confirming themselves, Roma and Lazio being, uh, you know, good as we thought they would be is going to be very difficult for them. So I do want to talk uh, Gattuso in a moment, but I wanted to get back to the uh, Retiro, uh, Retiro Retreat, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, th that's one that like I, I, I've heard a little bit about in the past. Usually I think it's like the South American Concentracion or whatever the yeah. term is there. Like, Why is that such a big deal in terms of why wouldn't the players want to do it and why did that sort of become such an issue for uh, Ancelotti and for Napoli in general? Yeah, well, it seems that Ancelotti didn't agree. So they were in a difficult part of the season. It was after the Salzburg match in the Champions League. They had already announced to the team they were going to you know, go on retreat. It was communicated by De Laurenti's son 
to the team. The players say it wasn't very clear that they were going on retreat. I mean, everyone knew it. I mean, in the media, certainly we were aware. They refused to go on retreat, which contractually they are obligated to do. It can be put as a punitive thing, but if you put it as like a team-building exercise, which is exactly how De Laurentiis was framing it, uh, Ancelotti famously during one of his seasons at Milan went on a retreat like this at Malta and then they won the Champions League. So the thinking was like, we'll do something like that. But there wasn't buy-in. I mean, the, uh, Alan, Insigne and Mertens, you know, three of the leaders in the locker room basically said, we're not going to do this. The other players followed suit. Uh, De Laurentiis is trying to find them a huge amount. Let's see if that holds in court. And that was really, the, to me, the beginning of the end for Ancelotti is when he sided with the players publicly and said, you know what, I don't agree with this, but I'll go along. Uh, that, to me, was the beginning of the end for him. But with the retreat itself, like, are they doing two-a-days? Are they having to run a lot? Is it just getting yelled at for not being up to, like, the level? Like, why, why would they refuse, so aside they, from just, we're frustrated with the club? Well, yeah, you're basically sleeping overnight. It's really more for team building. I don't know if they're doing much more training than okay. they normally would, but it's about team bonding. And honestly, I could kind of see how this Napoli team, it, it really wasn't a matter of talent. They really just didn't have good chemistry and something was missing. And I think De Laurentiis was like, hey, uh, we once Ancelotti did it with Milan, let's mm-hmm. do this Kumbaya team building, but nobody bought in. <laughs> so turning to Gattuso for a moment, um, like I'm interested to hear your thoughts on him as a manager and what he'll bring to Napoli because in my mind, he was like an okay solution at Milan, but obviously didn't do well enough to keep the job. And I do feel like part of his sort of authority there was rested in him being this Milan legend. So why is there then a belief that Gattuso is the one to fix things in Napoli? So a couple of things. I I think it also was somewhat of a financial decision. Gattuso agreed to take a contract just through the end of this season with an option if he makes the Champions League. Salary, not a huge salary. And De Laurentiis is very, you know, cautious financially, and I say that in a good way. So, you know, he's probably going to get off the hook with Ancelotti once he signs a deal with Everton, which is all but done. But, you know, there was the risk that he would have to pay two managers for a certain period of time. So I think one is financial and two Gattuso had already taken over Milan midseason when he originally did that. So he's familiar with that process. That makes sense. He's from southern Italy, uh, which I think helps. Did not know that. Uh, and he's going to go back to the old 4-3-3, which is kind of what Sarri used and what seems to work best for the Napoli players. And I think, you know, the one thing about Gattuso is, yeah, he has a lot of grintas, we would say in Italy, tenacity, he's fiery, but he also really is a company guy. And I think he will, him and De Laurentiis will be on the same page. Napoli is on retreat right now. As we speak, he canceled the day off after they lost to Parma. So I think, you know, you're going to see more cohesion with De Laurentiis, go back to the old formation defensively his Milan was pretty good and they were a little lax under Ancelotti so you'll get that uh, all things considered I mean I, I never thought Napoli was going to get someone mid-season like Allegri or Pochettino or someone mm-hmm. like that I think Gattuso and again he's used to taking over a team mid-season was probably as well as they were going to do so Everton probably did not think that they would be getting a manager like Ancelotti yeah, no. midseason, uh, but here we are. How nervous should they be? Because Duncan Ferguson seems to have gone for a sort of aggressive get stuck in, I'm going to wear my blue armband and sort of motivate the players that way approach, and it seems to have been working. It sounds like Ancelotti would take the opposite approach if his natural inclination took over, and that's sort of been the criticism at Bayern, at Napoli, that maybe there wasn't as much discipline, the players got away with a little bit too much, and then things kind of stagnated or worse. So what do you think happens with Ancelotti at Napoli? And again, how nervous should Everton fans be about that appointment? Well, let's begin with the fact that it's an incredibly prestigious hire, Mm -hmm. for sure. I mean, look, I got reservations on Ancelotti on the last two jobs, but I mean, this is a huge name. I mean, I'm not a huge expert on Everton, but this is a great get. In that sense, no Mm -hmm. doubt. I mean, look, if you wanted to be positive about Ancelotti, obviously has a great track record. We saw Napoli in the Champions League were brilliant under him. They played four times against Liverpool. I think it was just one time they got kind of outclassed. The other times they more than kept up 
with them. Um, so he still has that great tactical acumen. If you want to say at Bayern, you know, replacing Guardiola was always going to be difficult. They had, you know, some veterans really ingrained in the culture there. And Napoli, look, replacing Sarri after they came so close to winning the title was going to be difficult for pretty much anyone. But there were the criti- same criticisms on the lax training session, same criticism on his son, Davide, who I've heard is a great coach in waiting, did extremely well with all his licensing. I'm not questioning at all his ability at all, but there was a lot of talk of him basically being in charge during the week. Um, so there's that. Um, and, you know, you've had both Bayern players and a lot of the key players at Napoli kind of quitting on the team. Now, at Napoli, you can make the case they were quitting more on De Laurentiis. I think that is somewhat fair. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is two jobs in a row that this happens with. I personally think in an ideal world at this stage of his career, Ancelotti is managing a national team. You get really all the pluses that come with him. Uh, I hope he can turn it around. Like, look, it's not out of the question that he can. Everton are, you know, in a kind of an odd situation. Almost the only way is up. I really hope he proves me wrong because I like managers that treat everyone with dignity and respect succeeding. You don't necessarily have to always do it by fear. But from his last two stops, you know, I think Ancelotti for people maybe don't follow him that much. He's this great brand name and he's obviously really well liked by the media for good reason. He's a gentleman. So he tends to get good press, but the past two jobs, uh, there are some red flags. Much more from David Amoyal still to come, but first I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Dollar Shave Club. Uh, when we're talking about Dollar Shave Club, we're talking about quality products that will not mess up your face, even if you have a beard. They will not mess your face up because they are so well done, they are so well made that they make shaving, like if you need to just do like little lines, if you want to keep the beard nice and full, you can do that, but obviously they make it very easy to shave the entire face as well, but they've got products for your whole body from your head to your toes, I suppose, depending on how you want to use the body wash but they've got toothpaste they've got toothbrushes that makes sense they kind of go hand in hand but they've got the prep scrub the body scrub that you can use to exfoliate if you so choose they've got soaps they've got shampoo they've got conditioners they've got many 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 products to get you going once you do get going they keep you automatically stocked up on the products that you use uh, so you can just sort of get the things you need and not the stuff you don't that makes a lot of sense right now you can put the quality of dollar shave clubs products to the test their ultimate shave starter set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. That would be the executive razor, the shave butter, the prep scrub, and the post-shave dew. Love that post-shave dew. Uh, The best part is you can try it for just $5. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular prices. So get your ultimate starter set for just $5 at dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash TSS. Thank you very much to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to David Amoyal. All right, well, that's enough Premier League for me. Let's get back to Serie A. Let's talk top of the table. Let's talk Inter. Uh, Their loss on the final day of the Champions League group stage saw them uh, fail to make the knockout round. Uh, Was that a a big blow for them? Uh, I was was expecting it sort of like, oh, they must have fallen off and looking at the results. It was a bit like, no, they kind of never really got going. So I'm wondering how big a blow that was for them, or do you think it sort of allows them to focus completely on Serie A? Will they care about Europa League? I have many questions. Uh, David, answer them in whatever order you want to go with. Sure. I mean, I got to be honest i never felt they were really that into the champions league this season i think it was somewhat similar to napoli last year i think conte looked at his squad and they did give him a good squad no matter what his complaining is but it was definitely short especially once alexi sanchez got hurt you were basically have to start lukaku and lautaro basically Every match, I mean, midfield, they were, you know, they're not very physical to begin with. Sensi was wonderful for the start of the season and got injured, hasn't played since basically mid-October. So, and, and look, yeah, they fought, they, they could, they should have beat Barcelona, had a lot of their bench player, but they also drew at home against Sparta Prague the first match. So it never was a really inspiring campaign i don't expect them to put a lot of effort in the europa league they are right there with juve i still think juve are the favorites but i think inter are going to be a very tough out for juve we know conte and league play is really really great uh chelsea and juve his first season he didn't have european competitions at all now i think he's kind of a 
in that boat somewhat for the second half of the season. Uh, I think in January, it's not like they're not going to spend because they don't have the the revenues from the Champions League. They just got out of financial fair play hell, so they have more flexibility. Conte has put a lot of pressure on them. So I do expect them to be fairly active in January, bring in at least two fairly significant players and maybe another backup striker. So look for them to be busy, and I think they will be challenging Juve for the title. And if they do spend, as you said, what would be the areas of concern? What are the areas that could be problematic if they don't reinforce? Well, I think they definitely need another striker so Lukaku and Lautaro can take a break. Giroud, in a lot of ways, makes sense. He can be a good backup for uh, Lukaku. Has His contract's about to expire. I mean, I know he wants to play more. He wouldn't be, per se, a starter, but they definitely need that. I could see them going for Marco Alonso, who Conte had at Chelsea, who isn't playing now. They could get better. At wing back, he knows Conte, knows Serie A, played at Fiorentina, knows the formation. That makes a lot of sense to me. They're going to try to bring Arturo Vidal back, reunite him with Conte. That would really be something. I think Juve Twitter would really freak out, and I say that in a good way. It would be great for Serie A, but I think they're going to bring in a midfielder kind of that caliber to go with them. So I, if you add those pieces right there i mean i think their starting lineup is very comparable to juve um add some depth there it gets interesting because i do think juve is definitely going to be in the mix for a deep run in the champions league and that might help enter all right well then let's let's talk juve for a moment then uh they beat up udinese uh this weekend 3-1 uh that's not really the biggest of accomplishments as far as i understand because udinese not playing that well this year but Conte started the front three of ronaldo Iguain, dibala that seemed to work out do you think that's the way forward for juve this season well i think sadri put it pretty well that it worked out well in Udinese at home. That's maybe not the best test, but they are a team that's going to sit back and play very defensively. I think in that setting, it makes sense. Uh, Juve does really miss Douglas Costa, though. He's really a, a game changer for them. I think once he's healthy and he's coming back now, but with him, he, he's always a muscular injury away from being out two, three weeks. Uh, he'll be in the mix. I think Ramsey, when he was healthy, did really quite well. So, if he has all his options available, I think he will rotate them quite a bit. Uh, but against lower table teams, teams playing on defense, you will see Higuain, Dybala, and Ronaldo together. I think, you know, Higuain's been really tremendous this season. He's uh, playing both as a trequartista and a central striker. He's playing kind of the way he did at Napoli for Sarri. He's kind of the X factor. If he can keep it up because Dybala's a little bit odd, tactically on paper you look at his body and you're like okay he should be the number 10 kind of trequartista but he's really more of a second striker and if Higuain can keep striving more in that trequartista role that's really fun to watch but uh with all the options there to add Douglas Costa and Ramsey to that I think Sarri can have a lot of fun with that offense I wouldn't mind seeing Sarri have fun because it feels like he hasn't really gotten to do that yet. It seems like every time something goes sort of wrong for Juve, it becomes this like this whole conversation of is it going to work? Should we? Should they move on? Is it ever going to kind of gel for him? And yet then they rebound right away and stay top of the yeah. table. I mean, I would say the only really, really bad game they had this season was against Lazio, which you definitely could have expected more. But you look against Inter, they played really, really well. In the Champions League, Juve clinching a first first place spot with a game to go is like unheard of yeah in my lifetime they had never lost until lots of sure it wasn't as exciting as we thought it would be but against Udinese we kind of saw those glimpses so I, I hear you I think there's a lot of prisoner at the moment with Sarri but I actually think now we're gonna start seeing Juve really going on all cylinders all right. Well, uh, you mentioned Lazio there. Let's talk Lazio. They defeated uh, Cagliari on Monday to keep pace. They're, what, three points off the top, I think, of uh, Inter yeah. and Juve. How have they been able to keep this run going despite not having that depth that we've already talked about uh, that Juve and Inter do have? Because it's interesting. Continuity, you look at Napoli. Napoli and Lazio had very similar off-seasons. Like all the other top teams, they kept their coach, kept pretty much all of their best players. Lazio, like Napoli made additions to their weaknesses, so they went for center-back, right-back, got more depth up front. 
Lazio improved that right wing back Lazzari from Spa. Really, really an exciting player. Tried to get more depth. Tried to get another defender to go with Acerbi. They kept their manager. But continuity for Lazio has really, really paid off. I feel in a lot of ways, Lazio the past few years had great individual talent. But you put them together, it just didn't really add up. Now, some people would say, well, you know, they also won the Coppa Italia. They've done pretty well with Inzaghi, but they never got to the Champions League. And I think they were certainly better than some of the teams. That I thought they were certainly better than Atalanta last year. Um, so this year, it seems the sum of the parts really are working out a lot better. Luis Alberto, I think if you had to pick maybe the best player of the Serie A season right now, if you picked him, I really wouldn't. Arguing Mobile is on pace to break uh, Higuain's scoring record, which is really, really incredible. So, yeah, it's worked out really well. They've kept all their players, and continuity for them has really paid off. Now, I don't think they are a Scudetto contender, but if they finish comfortably in third place and get to the Champions League very comfortably, they punted the Europa League completely with this in mind. I think that would be a really good season for them. Question about Immobile for a moment there, because he's a player who I thought was going to do big things, then sort of fell off a little bit, didn't have the success that was expected. Now with Lazio, he is finding that 17 goals in 16 Serie A games. What has been the key to this sort of career turnaround for him? Why has he been so good this season? See, I think, and I've been saying that for a while, I think he's the new Totò di Natale, was a fantastic striker at Udinese Mm -hmm. and never wanted to go to a bigger club. And he got so many offers from Juve, but wanted to be, and if you want a big fish in a small pond. Now, Lazio is a little bit bigger than Udinese, but I think he's really found the perfect place for him. You know, he's went abroad twice, didn't work out. There, uh, he came back to Torino. Was he had had a great season there before? Was a great, but at Lazio, he's really been perfect for this team. I think him and Inzaghi have like a really, really good understanding. And look, he could have 20 goals right now. He punted on three penalty kicks that he left to his teammates to take, so he could be even uh, better. He's just. Um, You know, I think right now the team is built for him and it works out really well. We're also starting to see some glimpses of him on the Italian national team uh, doing well. Uh, I'm not sure if a move maybe to a big club, if maybe he should try one more time. But he's got a great thing going at Lazio. He's about to have four seasons with over 20 goals and said, yeah, and that really puts you in incredibly great company so yeah definitely if you said he's the best Serie A striker of the decade and you might not be as crazy as that sounds and then in terms of uh ranking uh people would we say that Simone safely is the better manager than his brother Pipo at this point yeah I think that's very safe to say (laughs) and look to people's credit though he's now in Serie B and his team's in first place and I think you know him going to Milan right away that they didn't do him any favors but to his credit he is now paying his dues at Venezia haven't been great now it's Crotone he's doing there in first place so yeah but Simone has done well and he the interesting thing is he was never supposed to be Lazio's manager they had hired Bielsa and then he didn't show up after they announced his signing and Simone Inzaghi was managing Lotito Lazio's uh, uh, president owns another team. He was coaching that one and he just promoted him and it worked out great for them. It's a great sliding door moment. There we are. All right. I like sliding doors. Uh, I also like talking about teams that I did not expect to be where they are. I already asked you about how Lazio have been able to do what they've done. Uh, same question as earlier, but this time about uh, Cagliari currently uh, fifth in Serie A. Remarkable, because they sold Barella to Inter. He was their best player, and they lost their starting goalkeeper, Cragno, who I thought last season was maybe the third best keeper in Serie A to an injury. They lost their striker, Pavoletti, who I think last year had 16 or 17 goals, was their top uh, striker. He went out, both Cragno and, and Pavoletti went out at this right before the season started. They bring in Olsen from Roma, who was the worst keeper in Serie A, and Giovanni Simeone at striker. He's been pretty good. Olsen's been a revelation. They've done incredibly well. They brought in Nainggolan, who got off to a rough start. He looked like a finished player at Cagliari. He's been great since they brought in Nandez from River Plate he's been absolutely terrific they reinvested the money from Barella really really well 
they build the team in the image of their manager, Maran, who's more of an old-school Italian defensive coach. Have Jao Pedro, one of the most underrated uh, players in Serie A, already has 10 goals this season. I mean, look, I don't think they are going to be like Atalanta and shock the world and go to the Champions League. I think they're going to be kind of in uh, between 6th and 8th place, and that's still remarkable so kudos to them uh, they are a team that just makes it very hard for their opponents every time they play them so if they even if they don't stay in the champions league a strong season for them would be finishing between like fourth and sixth and eighth somewhere in there um how likely are they to exist like next year in their current capacity i guess a better put would be like are they going to be just completely picked apart at the end of the season given how strong they've been so far i i would say more likely than not um okay. especially if, if somehow they made it to the champions league and got those revenues maybe they hold on to more i mean there's already talk nanda's agent who everyone was surprised they got him in the first place saying he didn't get all the payments so he'll probably be gone so no i think there is going to be a decent amount of turnover i think this is more of a one and done type season they really don't even have the revenues of say a torino not even close to lazio um, so no, but it, it's a great season though. And I think they should definitely enjoy the ride. I think, you know, they are going to be for the foreseeable future, a mid table team in Serie A. And that's not a bad thing when you look at, uh, their revenues and their history. Hello, friends of mine. This is Taylor jumping in one more time to let you know that today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends at Policy Genius. It's already December, worth, worth keeping that in mind. Uh, and though many managers have been sacked, we cannot offer the managerial insurance. That is something that probably exists, but it's very specialized, probably very difficult to deal with. And uh, I'm sure lots of managers have explored it. Uh, Big Sam has definitely explored it several times over. Uh, Carlo Ancelotti may have utilized it, but then he ended up signing for uh, Everton, so it didn't really matter. Uh, but if if life insurance is a thing that has been on your mind but you haven't yet taken care of, Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. This could save you $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. So basically, they aggregate everything so you don't have to go through and look it all up and compare and contrast, and then you minimize a window, but then you close out the wrong window, and now it's all a nightmare and you can't remember what you had. Policy Genius simplifies the whole thing. So if you need life insurance but you aren't sure where to start, why not start at policygenius.com? It only takes a few minutes to find the right life insurance policy, apply, and cross another thing off your to-do list. Policy Genius, when it comes to life insurance, it's nice to get it right. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring today's episode. Now back one last time to David Amoyal of the Calcio Land Podcast. All right, so uh, Cagliari currently fifth, Atalanta, uh, they're in the top six, and maybe more impressively, still alive in the Champions League. Does manager uh, Gian Piero Gasparini deserve an A or an A-plus for his work so far in this campaign? A-plus. My friend Alex Frosio writes for Gazzetta dello Sport and really, really is plugged in with uh, managers. His dad's a manager. He told me that in his opinion... The only manager who matters more to their club than Gasperini to Atalanta is Klopp at Liverpool. He says, think about that type of impact and think of the difference in revenues between Atalanta and Liverpool. So put that in perspective. But that club, really everything's about Gasperini, his style of play, how hard he makes the players practice. Skirtle, the former Liverpool defender, he signed with Atalanta at the end of the summer on a Bosman deal. After two weeks, was like, I'm out of here. These guys <laughs> practice too hard. He went back to Turkey. I mean, this is a guy who played for Liverpool. Yeah. And uh, so that is really impressive. And you look at Luis Muriel, you know, a striker. I'm a huge fan of his, like a great talent who every year gets off to a strong start, then tails off becomes lazy he's been great at Atalanta and they're doing this without Duvan Zapata for most of the season and that guy was incredible for them so yeah I mean Atalanta you can't praise enough what they've done they're doing everything right like uh, they made it to the Champions League they kept all their starters except for one Mancini went to Roma they invested in the team they're refurbishing their stadium to make it a state-as-the-art as they can. I expect them to make some investments in January because of the Champions League revenue. I mean, I think they can realistically make the quarterfinals. And I think they want to compete for to get back to the Champions League next season. So they are a club that they're making this extra money. They will reinvest it. 
They still arguably have the best youth system in Italy. You look at when the Italian youth teams play, they have a ton of Atalanta players. Really a great story. Atalanta has always been extremely well run, but they hit a home run with Gasperini as their manager. They're fun to watch. They still are, to me, the best story in Italian football. If they do get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League, how do you think they would do that? So they're going to have uh, Valencia at home for the first leg, I believe, then they're going to be on the road for the second. What are your sort of expectations for how Atalanta will approach uh, those knockout round fixtures? I think they have a pretty good chance. Like, look, I think even in the group stages, yeah, they got Man City, but the rest of the group was, you know, fairly reasonable. I think this draw went as well as it could. For them, I think this is at least 50-50 that they can make it to the next round. Uh, I'm not a huge expert on Valencia, but I look at Atalanta's squad. If Duvan Zapata's back healthy as expected and they have this team kind of playing this way, it's going to be really tough. It'd be great to have them in the quarterfinals. I mean, I don't think they could go any further than that. But hey, I, I, I think everyone's surprised they, they were even in the Champions League to begin with. So this is sort of a, a thought experiment question. Uh, no pressure on you if you just want to say, like, I don't know. But uh, at time of recording, at least, Arsenal have not yet signed a permanent manager. Mikel Arteta seems like it's going to be the way they go. But if yeah. they were looking to steady off for a moment, would signing uh, either Simone uh, Inzaghi or Gasparini as their manager be a wise move, even if it's unlikely right now, given where those two teams are in the season? I think they would be – I think Simone Inzaghi maybe more uh, just because I think he's maybe used to a bigger club in a sense there. He's worked with more high-caliber players. Uh, Gasperini, I mean, you really have to commit to like uh, him basically running – the show, I think Simone Inzaghi is, would fit in maybe a little bit more. But I think they'd be very good hires. For sure, put it this way, I'd have less reservations than Ancelotti, as much as the fact that he's a much bigger brand name. Wow. All right. All right. That's a, I'm going to say that's a vote of confidence from uh, from David Amoyal. Uh, I've got a few individual player questions because sure. uh, I don't know much about some of these guys. And then one, I know a decent amount, but I don't really know what's happened. I want to start with Parma and uh, Dejan Kulusevski. I'm going to butcher yeah. that one. I apologize. Uh, Swedish midfielder on loan from Atalanta. So that's good for them. He's been a key performer for them. They're in seventh place. Who is he? What does he bring? And why is he so good? Ooh, very impressive player. Uh, so he was one of the stars of Atalanta's youth system. They sent him on loan to Parma. He had a great preseason, started more as a midfielder, but now has been used as an offensive winger. He's tall, has great pace. Good finisher. In some ways, he reminds me a little bit about when Milinkovic Savic really, really first broke out and was playing more offensive position. Uh, really a devastating player. Clutch can run a ton. I don't think he's had a bad game that I've seen this season. A very interesting situation because, as you mentioned, Atalanta owns him. Parma has him on loan this season. He went to Parma because he wanted to play all year, but I think he's played well enough that if he moves in January, even to say he went to a team like Inter, he would play a lot now. So if his concern is, oh, I leave, I'm not going to have my playing time, I think he'd be okay there. Obviously, Parma would want some compensation for letting him go. The good news for them is they got off to a great start this season. They are, you know, they don't have to worry too much about relegation. If, say, Inter gets them and they offer a player or two to kind of uh, make it easier on Parma, Atalanta is going to make a huge profit on him. You know, part of me is like, geez, it would be wonderful if Atalanta just called him back and add him to the mix. I don't think that's going to happen. I think his next moves in said, yeah, but I think you are going to see him in the Premier League within three, four seasons definitely a player to watch i mean if parma takes the lead i would in a match i would recommend watching to see what they do on counters with him and gervinia all right and what about uh domenico berardi of sassuolo he's 25 years old had stronger seasons like 2013 and 2014 uh then fell off a little bit this season uh eight goals already he's in the top 10 at least for goal scoring in Serie A. uh sassuolo mid-table i would say relatively comfortably mid-table. Do you expect him to be on the move at all, or will he see out the uh, season with Sassuolo? 
See, he's an odd player because for a while we used to think that he was the new Di Natale. Yep. So this great striker who just stays on the team that he grew up with. But then, as you said, he fell off a little bit. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, he, he's like the Italian Robin for style of play with his left foot. He, but he's an odd duck. Like his former manager, Di Francesco, was at Roma and Sampdoria. He had a very good interview on him saying, you know, he just has a very peculiar personality, doesn't like pressure, doesn't like being in the spotlight. He's been very happy at Sassuolo. Numerous times could have gone to Juve and turned down uh, the offer. I, I think he would have to go to a coach that he's comfortable with uh, to give up Sassuolo. Now, Sassuolo's in an odd situation because their owner, who really was the heart and soul of that team, passed away uh, a few, like about a month ago. So I'm really curious to see what happens to them long term. But it wouldn't surprise me if he goes to a manager that he feels he has a connection to. Not necessarily a huge club. I think he's going to want the right situation for him. I just don't think he'd be the type of guy who would respond to a very pressure place. Uh, and then in terms of my, uh, maybe a person who doesn't respond to pressure either is the man I'm about to ask <laughs> you about. Uh, because in terms of my rooting interest with Serie A, I tend to be a Roma supporter in Turkey. I yeah. tend to be a Galatasaray supporter. Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, what has happened to Steven and Zonzi? Uh, because he was sent on loan to Galatasaray uh, with an option to buy after what Roma spent like 26 million euros on him to sign him from Sevilla. Uh, now his loan has been terminated. Ro- uh, he's been sent back to Roma. It seems like they're going to have to find him a new club because maybe he walked out on training or something else happened Fasi Tarim the manager of Galatasaray said like he knows what he did and it's unforgivable so it sounds like it's not forgivable I'm wondering what has gone wrong for him or if you have ideas about what needs to happen for him to sort of rediscover that form that we've come to expect from him man it's really amazing since he won the world cup right? what has happened to him I mean he's just one of those the, the Monchi curse you know it's like uh, on paper this was a move that made a lot of sense for Roma, he was a total disaster there for it. And when they loaned him out to Galatasaray, I think they knew that it wasn't going to work out and they made it a two-year loan deal. They were like, okay, you can redeem him after one year for this amount and then just hold on to him and you can redeem him the year after. They were just like, we just don't want him here. We have a feeling you're just not going to redeem him. Just at least run out the contract so we don't have to deal with him. We kind of had a similar situation with Felipe Melo, who left Juve, was at Galatasaray. I think it was definitely in Turkey. It's kind of like the same thing, you know? They overpaid for a player that on paper was supposed to be great for them, didn't live up to expectations. Uh, I mean, I'm curious. I mean, Fonseca's done a lot of miracles at Roma. They've had a ton of injuries. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure they're going to try to find them a new home. I'm not sure how much space there is for him uh, at Roma. But yeah, it's unbelievable how his career has taken a turn for the worse since the World Cup. All right, let, let's let's move on to maybe a, a happier topic when it comes to indi- individual players. Uh, there's one I wanted to ask you about. He's been linked with Serie I think his name is uh, Zlatan, is I think how you say that one. <laughs> yeah, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, I somehow was convinced he had signed for a club in Sweden. Like, I just totally thought that it happened. It has not happened. Instead, he remains a free agent, still linked heavily with Milan. Do you expect him to uh, play in Serie A at any point this season? A lot less than a week ago. Um because a few things changed. So Ancelotti leaving Napoli hurts. On one hand, Gattuso also has a relationship with him. But I think Napoli's situation, even for Ibrahimovic, if they had a chance, you know, definitely not Scudetto, but go there and be the hero and bring them back to the Champions League, that would be one thing. And then Milik, who has, when healthy, has done really well for Napoli. And he's on, he's one player who's doing okay in that role. So Napoli think less likely Milan. They wanted him on their terms, you know, bring him in on a short term contract just for the rest of the season with a vested option. But I think Ibrahimovic sees that, you know what, this isn't the Milan that I was on. I need a little bit. I think if they offered him a contract for the rest of the season and next year guaranteed, he might take it, but it seems Milan and even both Boban and Maldini, their directors, uh, recently have kind of put cold water on that. And Bologna, who seemed like maybe a dark horse because of his relationship with Mihailovic, who's a great story because he's battling leukemia, they're out too. 
So I don't know. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes to Everton with Ancelotti at this point. If you put a gun to my head, I would say that's what seems the most reasonable at this point. Is there any chance he goes to Inter since they do need a forward? He has previous mm. there. I don't know how well received that would be, but uh, it seems like it could work. Like, look, on paper, it makes sense. And I thought Fiorentina made a ton of sense. But I, I think because he considers himself really a Milanista and he's trying to put his legacy in Italy to really make it more about Milan, I don't think he would do it with Inter. But I'm with you on paper. He certainly could make an impact there. He could be in a title race. Uh, playing for Conte, going against Juve. There's certainly a great narrative there, but I think he's put so much stock in showing how much his love for Milan that if he took a U-turn and did that, I mean, with him, you never know. But uh, I, as of now, I don't think Inter's on the mix, but I'm with you. It would be, there's definitely some sense to that. All right, and then final question while we're talking about players on the move, players who could move. Uh, we do have the January window uh, around the corner. Which clubs or club uh, do you think or do you expect to be most busy in January, either buying or selling? Uh, could be could be anybody, but I, I'm always down for some rumors. Definitely enter because I think they definitely want to make a push for the title and they need uh, help. And I think they're going to I think they're going to make at least I think they're going to make two fairly significant signings and another rotation player. I think Rocco Comiso at Fiorentina is absolutely going to want to make a splash. Uh, got off to a slow start. Then at the end of the summer transfer window really hit his groove. They really need a lot of help in the standing. So I think you're going to see a lot from them incoming. Um, I think Atalanta is going to reinvest the champions league revenues. They also know Kuluzevski is going to be going to make them a lot of money. So I think they're going to be pretty active there. And I think Juve on the selling side, they are, you're going to see a lot of their players LinkedIn rumors. I mean, Manzukic, mm -hmm. I think maybe you could see him at Milan with Ibrahimovic now seeing less, Likely, they'll definitely try to move Emre Sean. Potentially, I could see him in a swap deal, maybe with PSG for Paradis, maybe Barcelona with Rakitic, something like that. So I think Juve is going to try to move some spare parts. They definitely have to lower their wage bill. is just absurd. Uh, so look for them to uh, make some moves there. But definitely Inter and Fiorentina on the buying side. Curious to see what Roma does as well we have a pretty tight champions league race so i think those clubs are going to be active all right well if they are maybe we can have you back to do a sort of uh january window roundup and then a look towards the uh the champions league fixtures and everything else with seria but for now david Amoyal, thank you uh so much if people want to hear more from you or find out more about you uh how could they go about doing so well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to be on Fantastic Show. So you thank can you. hear us on Culture Land with uh, my co-host Alex Goldberg. Mm -hmm. You can follow the transfer rumors on the Marcio site, not just Serie A. I'm going to be writing on ESPN quite a bit in the January window, hopefully with our common friends at The Athletic again. But definitely on Culture Land, we'll do a lot of Serie A and transfers. Beautiful. So, always a pleasure to chat with you. Always a pleasure to have you here, David Amoyel. Thank you uh, one more time for taking all the time to make sense of Syria. My pleasure. Sometimes it's hard, so I hope we... <laughs> <laughs>